What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the City of Champions podcast, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Please accept my sincere apologies for the couple-week hiatus uh, while I was away working on film stuff. Uh, Sorry to disappoint you, but I guarantee you the documentary we're working on will not disappoint. Go check it out at Built for This Doc on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook uh, to follow along on all the progress. Michael Bisping. It's a big deal in the UK and worldwide. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Here in Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. And if you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kososki, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Okay, this week I decided to dive into the political world of Edmonton, and I pulled my guest from the clutches of City Council. You may recognize him as the stylish one from City Council, sporting horn-rimmed glasses and a brilliant white beard with matching mustache. He is none other than Ward 6 City Councillor Scott McKean. The councillor and I had a very wide-ranging and enjoyable discussion uh, covering everything from the councillor's past life as a journalist with the Edmonton Journal uh, to why he got into politics. We talked about current issues facing our city. Uh, what he feels is the broken nature of the political world. Uh, And we even discussed some of his darker days dealing with mental health and addiction issues, which he is shockingly but refreshingly open about. Uh, It's hard to believe that a successful career in politics is possible being such an open book. And we're super skeptical about politicians um, for many reasons, uh, lots of which are legitimate. However, The counselor absolutely floored me with his openness and vulnerability. His personality and life story stand up as a shining example of what can be accomplished by being a decent, honest, and admittedly flawed human being. Uh, Simply by owning up to your mistakes, uh, a lot can be accomplished. I know you guys are going to enjoy this one as much as I did, so let's get to it with counselor Scott McKean. listen to Joe Rogan at all? You know, I haven't. I, I, I wonder if it's a little bit, um, like I've seen it. I actually interviewed Joe Rogan. I, I did this, what? I did this sideline for a while. So I was at the Edmonton Journal for 24 years, mm-hmm. uh, 16 of those as a reporter, different beats, and then eight as the city hall columnist. But I also in there had a couple of sidelines. I did restaurant reviews on, uh, reviews on the side for a while. And then I, um, there was an entertainment editor in there, Wayne Moriarty. He would sort of uh, prevail upon me to do some things. So I, I interviewed all these uh, visiting comics before yep. they came to the city. Uh, so Rogan, Bill Maher. I got to interview Don Rickles. I got to interview, and I, you know, I don't know what your generation knows about Don Rickles, but he was. Uh, politically incorrect in its own day (laughs) but oh my god he would you know i think there's something about um black humor or dark humor whatever we call it it's it can be done really well in the right place at the right time 
can be really funny because what we're laughing at is I should not be laughing right. at this. It's the realization that it's it's not correct. It's, that makes yeah. it so hilarious. Yeah, right? yeah. So Don Rickles did that, and at the end of the interview, I said, "Don, will you do me a favor?" And what's that? I said his favorite expression was calling people a hockey puck. I don't know why. It's not that funny, but I said, Don, will you call me a hockey puck? And he goes, Scott, you're a hockey puck. There, did that make your life? Is it better now? And so I had that. I don't even know if I have the tape anymore, but I had a tape of Don Rickles calling me a hockey puck. That was That's golden. And Joan Rivers, uh, Dennis Miller, Dennis Miller, who had sort of swung to the right to be mm-hmm. a sort of a con- uh, conservative. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, he, he got quite angry at a couple of my questions. I don't remember exactly what they were. Uh, Jay Leno was a real gentleman. I, I'm really smart. You know, Jay Leno is not held up as the, uh, as the comics comic, mm-hmm. you know, sort of mainstream America comic. Mm-hmm. But we talked, he talked about loving playing northern places. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking about why that might be. And it could be that you're in California and you decide to go to a comedy show but maybe you realize at any point you could go out and you could be walking down the beach or something. Mm-hmm. December, Canada, you've made the effort to get to that comedy show. You're not going to go wandering outside to go through, through for a walk in the snow. So he said, uh, Northern Canadian audiences in particular were really attentive and really great audience. I thought, you know, again, I love trying to figure stuff like that out too. Like why do people behave the way they do? Mm-hmm. And so that was interesting for me that Lano had picked up on that. Nice. The other thing you hear from comics, more comics quit second show Friday night than any other for any other reason. People Friday night, people have been working all week. Mm-hmm. They're tired. Mm-hmm. Second show, they're tired and they get drunk. And that's when the hecklers really come out. So, And the comic will just walk off stage and that's it? Call well, it. yeah. Or something. Yeah. So, so we all have our... Um, we all have our pain points in any job we do, and, and Second Show Friday Night was it for comics. I, I really like comics because mm-hmm. they're smart. Mm-hmm. The good ones are smart, and they're really good observers of the human condition. They don't even have to be political, but they will pick up on aspects of uh, our behavior, and that's why we laugh at it. Somebody's mm-hmm. pointed it out to mm-hmm. us, and we... And you have that aha moment. Yes, we do do those stupid things. All it's a time. shared bond because, you know, only we know the, the true depths of depravity in our own souls, right? <laughs> we don't share that with many people. So when the comic comes out and says, hey, we all think the same terrible stuff, that makes you laugh and it, and it brings you closer to them, right? It's, it's too bad that a lot of Louis C.K.'s humor about how men are pigs, <laughs> the way they treat women turned out to be <clears throat> too true in his own life but yeah absolutely guy's funny but yeah tragically so, so so in all these in all these times interviewing comics what were what was the one commonality between all of them would you say were they all uh, bred from tragedy you know i thought that and i asked a lot of them that i think a lot of cases there was that underlying neuroses uh <clears throat> which i completely get by the way i mm. Uh, I think that I've been driven a lot of my life by the effort to prove myself to myself mm-hmm. and wanting to be, uh, I don't know, widely loved, you know. Uh, and this has been, being on city council has been, I've jokingly said, is the best personal growth program 
you could ever go through because it turns out you can't make everybody happy. Right, imagine uh, so. And, uh, and some people will quite vigorously let you know that mm -hmm. and call you uh, names. Uh, I've been uh, stopped in grocery stores and public sidewalks and uh, people quite angry. Uh, I got angry back at one guy one time because my daughter was there. Right. And I thought it was a bit offside. Did that blow up at all? No. No, no, no he stomped off. I said some... I can't remember what I said, but it was maybe a little bit pointed back at when he stopped off. So. <laughs> well, good. I think, you know, we, we're, we're all human. We're all flawed. You can't be expected to be perfect all the time. And, and you know, we were talking before we started recording about guys like Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris. Yeah. Maybe it's seemingly that their ego has gotten the best of them. But I think what people forget is these, these types of people, individuals, are, are in the public eye so much that it's, it's near impossible to act perfectly all the time and they have to be so yeah. careful of what they say and it's only natural to misspeak and and misstep and and I, I can't imagine the pressure now that's being put on individuals like that and you know to to a degree to you as well you know you've got a whole city at least a whole world looking at you to to fix problems and make things better and it's you know it's probably I can imagine a bit of a thankless job sometimes it's when things go right it's like yeah they should go right and when they go wrong they point the finger and 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 blame you. It's funny, Roy. You know, I <clears throat> we always want to do this. When I was at the journal, we never got around to it. Would be to take a single sheet of paper and get up, get mug shots from every member of city council on it, and then take it out on the street without any names on it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd put a few other faces in there of recognizable or less recognizable people, and say to people, "Can you identify these folks?" Yeah. Because my theory is most Edmontonians wouldn't be able to identify very many city council members. They you might the be mayor, the only one. They That's, get the mayor, yeah. and because of this stupid mustache of mine. <laughs> I don't think that, it's stupid. <laughs> I think it's a great mustache. Uh, that, that's, yeah, I think I do. And you know, I wrote that column for eight years too, and it had a mugshot with it. So, mm. so I've been in sort of pushed into the public consciousness for quite a while. So, but I think most people don't. and. And you know, most people are really great. I, I have this one memory from the first term and I, it still haunts me a little bit. It's kind of ridiculous, but I was at an event on a Friday night, I think it was, and it was a crowded room and people were, you know, having drinks and stuff. And a guy was talking to me and then he asked me if I wanted me to, uh, wanted a beer, which I didn't even really get the chance to explain that no, uh, I would not like a beer. But then somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I turned and then I got absorbed in that conversation. Right. Later that night I thought, did I disengage from the first guy in a polite way? Right. I don't think I did. So there might be a chap out there telling the story of what a, an arsehole I am. <laughs> and, in, and, and that's right in a way. I did behave that way inadvertently. But, mm. but yeah, it's... Um, if I could think of one reason that I found really compelling, two reasons I found compelling to run for city council after covering it as a journalist for 12 years. One was to finally get engaged. Mm -hmm. As a journalist, you tend to be a step back from the community. Mm -hmm. You're observing and then you're writing, or in the case of a columnist, you're observing and you're offering your opinion on it. Uh, the second one was because, you know, there was so much cynicism towards um, politicians 
And I think we've all seen the odd case, um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand probably coming to mind right now after the horrific um, killing of innocents. Her human, her demonstration of her humanity mm. without, not cloaked in any uh, political jargon. So I just, I thought, you know what? I'm, I want to run for council and, and Lord knows I'm flawed and I have failings and I mm -hmm. have weaknesses and I have a record of that. I'm just going to be human. Right. And so I have apologized in interviews to the media about things I've said or uh, consequences of council decisions because I think that's really important mm -hmm. to say we made a mistake. Right. We had the best information at that time. We made the best decision we could at that time. Mm -hmm. But now we can see it was a mistake. I think it's important. And I think people rather than, like when I've seen that example in the past and others, I think that's great. Like, you know, trying to BS people mm -hmm. or obfuscate, that's what frustrates the public so much is that political leaders have lost their human touch. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was, I thought I could go, and be a kind of a flawed example or just a real <laughs> guy doing politics. Do you think that's a case, a nature of the position in itself, um, being a public figure, being a politician, that they feel like they need to be perfect and therefore they're, they're always trying to justify and, and kind of talk their way out of situations? Or do you think it's, a, it's an indicator of the individuals that go into that? I think there's a three-way relationship we often forget, and that's the public in the media and the uh, political class and we're all stuck in this dysfunctional relationship together it's really hard to break <laughs> out of it yeah um so what happens is i make a mistake mistake or the city makes a mistake media maybe blows it out of proportion writes a really hard story about it mm -hmm. doesn't give any of the um mitigating factors or something as to city hall screwed up public becomes cynical about politicians and government politician becomes more reluctant to be open and vulnerable about right them. so as this spins and spins and spins we have i would suggest a media that is driven to write even more, um, we used to call them torqued up stories. You torque them up. Mm -hmm. They're hard edge stories. I, I never really liked that word sensationalist, but so they write these really hard stories. Maybe they're not completely balanced or fair to the government. Um, public becomes more cynical. Politicians become more scared of everything. Right. And so it's just, as I say, as it spins, so what do the politicians learn to do? They Then they get, they learn to uh, um, rely on key messages mm. and stick to them. Back to and, the script. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then they start to sound wooden and robotic, which increases cynicism, which increases the media's yeah. uh, zeal to get at the story. And it's dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And and somebody has to break the cycle. And I think ultimately it has to be on the politician, the elected official, to be human. Right. And uh, But it's, you know, the, it's, the times are fraught. And, you know, you 
don't there's there's words that you cannot say anymore mm-hmm. or or they'll you know you'll get uh, killed for it and and so that's that's what's you know I do quite a bit of work now with in our first nation and indigenous initiative and all they're fantastic people and I've built really good rapport with some of the council members out there and I'll go can we say band office is it a band council can we use the term reserve right and they're like yeah but but it's like I don't I don't even know what I can say anymore like and I mm-hmm. I think I'm a pretty politically sensitive culturally sensitive guy so mm-hmm. you know I I know a few words that are absolutely off limits yeah. but but it's it's a tough time for politicians and and then so you end up with with these fakes mm-hmm. you know you don't even know what they are and they're, or they're promising you know changing culture changing um, the nature of our communities is really hard work that takes effort over time so if we're going to solve homelessness and I want to solve homelessness mm-hmm. this will take years to do and it'll take constant haranguing of the other orders of government to get to continue with the funding mm-hmm. and to have council stay on point it's really hard to make change and um, and I and I understand people are cynical about that or don't believe in it but I don't know what point I'm trying to make there, but it's just really hard. <laughs> and I'm not paid enough money. Well, That's what it is. <laughs> you're, you're one of only 12 people in the city with that job. And, and you know, I want to get more into the specifics of it. But, yeah. you know, from the broad strokes, what are the main roles, the main responsibilities of your position? You well, know? yeah, it looks like... You go we, to a lot of meetings. We, go, we have a lot of formal meetings. So we have city council meeting every two weeks. Mm-hmm. We have city council public hearings every two weeks, and that's where we would deal with a rezoning, uh, major projects going in, uh, or uh, you know, uh, can be very small projects. There's one upcoming in Macaulay. It's a triplex going into the existing neighborhood. So we've got a rule on that because the zoning for the site had to change. Mm-hmm. So that requires it to come up to city council. So we hear from all sides in this, and then make a ruling. And, uh, and then we have council committees. Mm-hmm. Right now, I just switched over to the urban planning committee. So we have three of those standing committees. And then we have other, we have also have utility committee, audit committee. I'm on police commission, so which is a, uh, quite a burden of, uh, and all of these have agendas with long reports. Right. That's, there's a lot of reading and remembering mm-hmm. and note taking. And uh, <clears throat> that's, you know, that's the hidden work that people don't see. Right. Uh, so you arrive at this meeting. The meeting lasts from 9.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. And that looks like a day for the counselor. <laughs> and meanwhile, they may have put in four hours of reading to get to that subcommittee. Yeah, of course. Meeting. And then when they're done, then maybe they can catch up on email mm-hmm. and other reading. Uh, so when people email me, I'll say, please keep it tight. Mm-hmm. You know, or bullet points, put bullet points in because we'll get people that'll send a tightly spaced five page email. <laughs> and uh, and I have read through some of them and I thought, you could have said that in 
five bullet points. But I think people are trying to talk up to you a little bit. I yeah. Think when they reach out, they probably, they think, you know, this is a big time city councilor and <laughs> of Ward 6 and that's an important place in the city and, and therefore I need to come off as professional and, and elaborative yeah. And, yeah. and kind of, you know, dress it up a little bit, but not realizing you're kind of a no bullshit guy where it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. hey, like, let's just hit the yeah. facts here and, and yeah. let's move on. How do you manage all all of the info like you've got to synthesize and 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 kind of analyze all this all this different information especially when it comes to important impactful decisions um do you have any specific strategies that you use or is it really just the basics of read note taking like you said well i think that and i actually read that recently that if you want to remember stuff is you read it and take notes 100 mm-hmm. percent. that you don't underline mm-hmm. you don't use your highlighter you actually jot a note down and that'll help put it into memory because and it's really technical and I have occasionally gone after administration for its use of language, mm-hmm. really technical yeah. language, jargon, bureaucraties. You can't help but tune out when you're reading those kind of things. You, it, you know, and I, <clears throat> as a journalist and as a storyteller, I wanted the information to go past the eyeballs mm-hmm. into the gray matter and hopefully hit the heart. Right. So if it hits the heart, that means you've made it clear to that person it matters. And not only does it matter, it matters to them. Mm -hmm. So something in their life might be impacted by this. And we do a terrible job in government of explaining the decisions that way. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, uh, I think as, you know, uh, two of my colleagues, Michael Walters and Ben Henderson were on this. Uh, council initiative on public engagement for seemingly ever, I think it was five years. But if we use the wrong language, it doesn't matter what processes you use, you're cutting people out of the process. You're not, we have to be willing and humble enough to recognize all the barriers that people have to participation. Mm -hmm. And it's not just financial, it's not just uh, transportation. Psychological barriers fascinate me. So I live in Oliver, and I realized the other day, I never cross 109th Street to go east Mm -hmm. into downtown to grab a coffee. Mm -hmm. I stay in Oliver. 109th Street, with its six, seven lanes, Mm -hmm. is a psychological barrier. Interesting. It's interesting to me because it's not really that much of a hassle. No. But I don't think we recognize how much the reptilian part of our brain influences mm-hmm. in 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 big and subtle ways so i will have to i'll have to try crossing 109th street to go for a <laughs> coffee and see if my heart rate goes up or something but what's down there the coffee bro is supposed to be really good i think is yeah just past oh, there and and there's the commodore yeah the best place in town for 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 uh for brunch mm-hmm. i think but but yeah those those things fascinate me whether it's I, you know, I heard this about Commonwealth Recreation Center. I don't know if you've ever been. Really no. nice. And, but it's sort of in an area where there's quite a few, there's vulnerable neighborhoods around it, right? Right. So they've now got access to this fantastic new recreation center. But the question has to be, how do we get them in the door and make them not only feel welcome, but get them to recognize that's their place? Right. A little ownership. Yeah, they they belong there. And and that's a tricky thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm from the north side of Edmonton, and I've talked about this to my Northeast Edmonton, mm-hmm. how you could have Northeast Edmonton 
branded into your brain. <laughs> so I've over all those years of journalism, I've met, met countless rich and somewhat famous people. I know that when I'm around a wealthy class people, I have to, I have to tell that part of my brain to shut up. Right. That I'm just, we're all people. Right. We're just all people. But there's part of me that thinks I'm not worthy. Right. And, and you know, I've had a little bit of success in my life in journalism and then getting elected to council. But the I'm not worthy, uh, unconscious part of my brain is still there. Right. It's a hard thing to overcome. Of course. And I mean, there's, there's something to be said for, I think, being the same person in every situation. And I see the rare individuals like that and, and I'm, I'm envious of them, right? They're the same person, whether they're just bullshitting with me and our friends or if yeah. they're meeting, you know, Connor McDavid on the street or yeah. if they run into Don Iveson, you know, they just seem to always be loose in, in themselves. And I think that's really hard for most people. I think we're so up in our own brains all the time and yeah. it's um yeah it's i don't know what the strategy is so yeah so if you're on tv and you're on tv fairly often which i am in the news it's like you get sprinkled with fairy dust and suddenly you get treated differently by mm -hmm. some people it's the weirdest i always remember years ago my daughter my daughter worked at the blue plate diner and oh well, that's why and it's uh fun. i somebody she said to me at the end of the day hey Linda Steele was in the Blue Paid Diner today. Linda Steele was an anchor on Global News for mm -hmm. years. And I went, oh, interesting. I said, how would you know? She said, oh, everybody was talking about it at, the, at work. I said, did anybody mention who Linda Steele was having lunch with? No. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I was in the newspaper. Yeah. I wasn't on television. Right. And so, yeah. So it's weird how the medium can impact... You know, it's like movie stars who are just like everybody else, mm -hmm. but they get they get coated with, they get gilded, mm -hmm. uh, maybe much to their own chagrin. But it's a, that's another interesting psychological phenomenon: the uh, the waving gorilla. Have you heard of that? No. So you were with what was the lady's name, Linda? Steel, Linda Steele. Yeah. And so everyone's focused on Linda Steele because they're being told that she's there and look who, look that she's having lunch at Blue Plate Diner. Well, there's an interesting psychological study decades ago. Uh, these individuals were told to watch this group on tape that were throwing a ball and count how many times they threw the ball. Well, in the middle of throwing the ball, there was a large man in a gorilla costume that walked through in the middle of the group and started waving for several seconds and then walked out of frame. And after the video was done, the scientists all asked, um, how many catches did you guys see? And they said this many. He goes, and did you notice the gorilla? They go, what gorilla? 65% of people didn't notice the gorilla. They said, wow. what? There's no gorilla. They rewinded the tape, showed them, and they said, that's a different tape. And then they somehow proved that it was actually the same tape. But it's we're so... We're so one channeled sometimes that yeah. when, when we're expecting something or when we're focused on a task we tend to block everything else which can be a huge huge gift when we need to really dive yeah. deep on a topic but it can also be um you know an undoing in some sense i'm not that guy i'm not that guy i think i'm much more on the add spectrum mm -hmm. and and so when i have to do all this reading i have to do all this reading it's uh, it takes effort. I'm sure the sweat breaks out on my brow when I'm reading uh, council agendas. But well, uh, one piece of advice I'll give you if uh, if you're looking for a tip on note taking, the uh, auto dictate on your phone, the speech to text function. Yeah 
because I, I read a lot of books and I, I used to take notes. I used to write and that yeah. became a little too burdensome because it takes too long to write. So I started typing the notes, which happened quite a bit faster on my phone. And then I thought, why don't I try this speech to text program? And I found not only is it 90% quicker maybe than, yeah. than typing or writing, but it also by speaking the words out loud, something about that hardwires it into the memory even better than writing it down. Interesting, because I was going to ask you if it it did uh, have the same memory benefits as writing. Yeah, absolutely. I find just by, by nature speaking the words, having your motor neurons go through that process, it encodes it into the brain a little bit better. And then when you go to talk about it, because I find the best way to like really commit to memory something that you learn from a book is to discuss it with people that day or the next day and try to re-explain it yourself. Well, you've already spoken it once out loud, so it doesn't come out all bumbling. Like, you know, when you read about yeah. something interesting or a phenomenon or a story and you try and retell it, but you're kind of fumbling over your words because you've never spoken those words in that yeah. particular order before. This is almost a way of sort of ingraining it a little bit better. So, Are you, are you one of those guys that reads all these achievement in business and success books or I, I touch on those I bounce yeah. around a little bit yeah um, a couple a couple of ones I've read recently is how to think by Alan Jacobs mm. and uh, blame all the Malcolm Gladwell stuff is great yeah. Uh, Jordan Peterson's book was huge. It was good, eh? Yeah, I really like have you read it yet? No, and I feel a little bit afraid to I think because I have mixed feelings uh, I, which is probably not fair of me but just from what I've read, mm. I don't know whether I should be furious at Jordan Peterson or celebrating his challenge to men mm -hmm. to be better men, which I think I've read, mm -hmm. right? Well, the thing is, it's not he's not challenging men. He's challenging individuals. Okay. It just happens that his audience tends to skew primarily male. Yeah. And for, that is due to all sorts of you know societal reasons, it, you know, the people that are drawn to him for that for that particular purpose but no in nowhere in his in his writings does he say like look at this is my advice to young men or to men in general this yeah. is just advice to human beings yeah but i'd say i'd say give it a shot um yeah. i'd say instead of trying to make a decision on what you if you like him or if you don't based on what other people have said have a read or, or you know even listen to some of his podcasts because what i don't understand is like i've i've consumed a lot of his content between the book um and between his podcasts yeah and some of his lectures online and, and you know multiple interviews too on YouTube. I don't understand how people can be so furious at him for the things that he says because they just seem all so psychologically, scientifically sound. Yeah. And and not inflammatory. Like if you boil down sort of his main points, he's he's trying to help people be the best that they can be. Yeah. And I don't really understand how that triggers people so much. And my only my only um thought on that is that they're just either misinterpreting it, not covering it deep enough, because his, his, his points, his contentions are very, very complex. Like, you yeah. can't just explain one of his points in five minutes. No. It, it, it takes a long form lecture, basically. So here's the controversy of his refusal to use terms like they for transgender people, if I remember he was caught up in that at one point. Um, I I was both annoyed by that mm. and also compelled by it when I was a, was a, when I was still with the journal at one point I don't know what year it was but the CP style book came out mm -hmm. and we had to refer to fishermen as fishers fishers <laughs> and I just well a fisher is also a furry little creature 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it annoyed me. Like, I didn't know why we couldn't have fishermen and fisherwomen, right. for example. Fisher people doesn't really quite roll off the top. The fisher people. The fisher peeps. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I get that language is fraught. Mm. It's political. I get the intent in all of this, but I actually, I had an email from from uh, a woman who worked on my campaign who was talking about another uh, person who worked on my campaign. I know I knew she had a I knew she had a girlfriend, but I didn't know she was now identifying as trans. Mm. But the gist of the email was she'd done some stand-up comedy, yeah. and and they did really well. And I I, re, I had to reread this. I didn't. What do you mean they did like really a, well? Was like it a, a spell duo? check? Yeah, yeah, yeah. spell check. And then I finally I finally clued in that <laughs> the person who had written me was was subscribing completely to this language. But right. I must admit, and and this maybe shows my age, that when language gets confused because of this, mm. I'm not happy. Right. And so rather than uh, fishermen. Uh, or Fisher thing or calling people the chair of the committee rather than the chairman of the committee. My solution years ago was we we, we have uh, we needed uh, to have a prefix like for man like mm-hmm. we have for woman. Mm-hmm. So you have woman and he man right. and then you would then say mankind would be totally fine. Right. How we screwed up on that for getting the <laughs> suffix yeah. prefix prefix for men was what caused all these problems. Right. That's my theory. Well, it's it's tricky because there's always going to be people who the the more allowances you make, yeah. the further the further away from the standard you get, and the more complicated you make matters. But in, in in Peterson's case, it wasn't that he was refusing to call people what they want to be called. He doesn't care as far as he okay. as far as he claims he could care less and he has no problems um, with any homosexuals or transsexuals or or anyone that subscribes to any one of those letters along the the anagram there but his problem was with the government's interference in language and the fact that nowhere in British common law had the government ever been allowed to compel speech with an individual before because the bill was aiming to make it a hate speech if you didn't refer to them in the way that they wanted to. He says, I will call, personally, I'll call anyone whatever they want to be called. I have no problem with that. But when the government tells me I have to call them something, that's when I have a problem with it. And so with that, I I can certainly agree. And and he's a guy that's dove into sort of the atrocities of the 20th century when it comes to the Holocaust and the gulags of Soviet Russia. And and the first thing that goes is free speech in these societies that that crumble. So... Do, do you allow swearing on your podcast? Yes, sure do. So there's a Rage Against the Machine song. I forget the name of the song, but the the lyric or line at the end is, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard that, I thought, that is there's that motto is in my head. Mm. I have that in my head, which I think made me a better journalist too. It's kind of like to the establishment. Fuck you! I won't do what I of course. tell me. And um, so there's a bit of that in what Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. and I, and there's still a bit of that in me. I mean, when people and I used to write pieces about this too. When people complain about the emerging generation and their lack of manners, and mm-hmm. I want people to be civil. I think being civil is important. 
but disagreeing, telling the establishment how wrong it is, is it's a civic duty. 100%. You know, like I don't want people to, like I don't really like it when people tell me I'm a friggin' idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the best way to start. Right, and we can see that's, that's foundationally untrue. You don't get to be a city councilor well, by being an idiot. But I, what I mean is, you could start differently. Mm. You say, uh, Mr. McKean, I know you've done this work on the homelessness. On homelessness, did you realize this research shows this now? Mm-hmm. And you may actually be barking up the wrong tree or going in the wrong direction. I would be all over that. Mm-hmm. But if the person comes up, and you know, in, in so many of these fights, whether it's environmentalists against um, the city or industry or whatever, I, I think they have, they have a duty to tell industry, corporations and government that they're doing the wrong thing. I mm-hmm. think there's a duty there. Mm-hmm. But there's also a duty on the part of environmentalists and whatever other ists we're talking about. Some of them have to come in to the to the to the hall right and visit with us and and we can work it out and i you know i won't i don't think it's true of every counselor but i think i think a majority of people on council are able to be convinced by good evidence mm-hmm. conversation and argument and I think, but you know, what we know is what puts people, when they're not gonna hear that evidence or argument or information is when you start off with, you're an idiot or yes. you guys don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. City Hall always screws up on stuff. You know, it's just- Really, so every decision we've yeah. ever made has yeah, been yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yet here we are. So, yeah, so- and, it, and, it, and I, that speaks of unsophistication mm-hmm. to my mind. If you're coming in saying that, then we're probably not going to have a conversation because just by the you know by the fact I'm in this role, I've had to read all this stuff. My my knowledge on this um, is topic is at level seven out of fifteen. But you're coming at it that way. You haven't even come up, tried to work to get up to here with right. me, so we can have a really good conversation. Right. And uh, and I'm I tell you, I have changed my mind. I changed my mind in my column. Mm-hmm. And and I was really thrilled when that happened. When somebody can, can convince me to change my mind, mm-hmm. that's a great day. Mm-hmm. And that should be for all of us. You know, uh, we just learned something important about the world, and we were doing it. We were thinking wrong. Now we're thinking better. It's a good thing. Well, when we identify as arguing positionally, right? It all automatically creates this ego attachment to our positions. So it becomes me against you. Yeah. And instead of realizing, hey, like if we come to an agreement, that's the best situation for the most number of people. So there's no, there's no merit in you beating me. Because if you beat me and we still have to work together, if I lost to you, well then you're working with a loser. So yeah, yeah. What, what's, what's the point of beating me when we can mutually come to, to the best viable option? There, I, you know, I don't know any personal stories, but I've certainly heard stories of families being ripped apart in the U.S. by the, the Democrat-Republican divide. Down really? There. Yeah, and I, you know, I believe me, I have this in me, and I know I have this dark side part of me 
that occasionally during a council debate wants to say that ripper thing. And it would probably be against another counselor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's from junior high. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from exactly. Mm -hmm. But that one, that want to put in that just, that killer stroke. Mm -hmm. And I never have. So I think, you know, we try to behave and try to be good role models. Like it, like question period mm -hmm. is it, it, provincially and federally. It's ridiculous. Like, what message does that send to young people about the nature of political discourse, about civics, about manners and behavior? It's, it is the worst. Do you have to excuse me for not knowing exactly what it is that you're talking about? What, what part of question period is... Just, well, question example. period is only theater. Mm. I mean, it's just no, all posturing. It's all posturing for the media. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and so they they have committee work where they actually do work. But mm -hmm. the question period is just the official opposition gets so many questions to ask the cabinet minister, the prime minister, mm -hmm. or the premier, and the cabinet ministers, mm -hmm. and it's all about trying to get into the media. It's all right. about having a killer stroke, right? And so you, I think, would rarely hear a question for the opposition, which would start with Madam Premier. Uh, you know, your new environmental policy sounds very promising. Uh, have you considered also adding in this? You that would never hear that, right? That. Because that's not, uh, I mean, I guess in parliamentary tradition, they are there to be critics. Mm. But still, I think they are, they are so uniformly everyday critics that I tune out after a while. Right. And we, uh, a council debate isn't, it's, ours is weird. We basically have 13 political parties sitting around a U-shaped table. Mm -hmm. And um, and then a majority hopefully will come to some conclusion or, well, a majority will agree to do something or disagree. Right. And, uh, and we won't do that thing. Um, it's quite different. And I think there's a little bit more of a requirement on us to treat each other with some level of respect. Mm -hmm. I your may, offices are right next to each well, other. Well, but also, I may want Bob, fictional Bob. <laughs> I, I, I might be really annoyed with Bob at the mm -hmm. moment on mm -hmm. what he's saying about this thing in my ward. But somewhere down the road, I really want to get this program approved or something. And so I could say, make, take a vicious swipe mm. at Bob now in the debate, try to belittle him. But next time when that vote comes through on that program I really want in my ward... Bob might just find a reason to say no. Right. So there's a little bit we're under some pressure, uh, but you know it's, uh, we sometimes we sometimes don't do a good a job as we should around decorum. We have talked about it once in camera, so I can't talk about it much. But mm -hmm. there was it was uh, there was some vulnerability in that discussion. Mm -hmm. Everybody's under an intense amount of pressure. If you do that job right, if you fulfill the role of public. Serve elected public servant, right? You feel a burden of responsibility. I imagine, and you should take that seriously. But I'm now on blood pressure medication. I suspect in part because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's stressful to make decisions on behalf of the seventy-five thousand in your ward or the nearly one million people. Uh, 
You know, you want to do the right thing for the city so mm-hmm. it prospers and people are safe and people are uh, uh, entertained and we have vibrant neighborhoods and young people want to stay here. They don't want to all move to Toronto or Vancouver. Right. There's all these goals we have. And, it, you know, in the last few years, under a pretty tough economy, under a lot of pressure to keep taxes down, um, it is, I'm not asking for anybody's sympathy. I knew what I was getting into. People will say that to me all the time. Well, you knew what you're getting into. Um, not completely. Um, <laughs> not until no, you, there's no hand. As I said, to, you know, and this is probably the wrong analogy. People think I'm really being egotistical, but it's like being a, a rabid or being a sports writer mm-hmm. or playing for the Oilers. Mm-hmm. What is the difference in, you might think, oh, I understand what those players go through. Yeah. Not until you're on that ice. It's no chance. Yeah, you just it's it's a personal lived experience mm-hmm. that I want everybody to go through. <laughs> so they're nicer to me. What was your going into, you know, running for the first time? What was sort of your your main thing that you wanted to affect change in? You know, like what what was really driving you? Was it a build up of frustration with the system having covered it in journalism or was it an acute event? combination so two things come to mind you know first of all sort of having covered council for 12 years I used to say all roads lead to City Hall Mm -hmm. everything in Edmonton leaves City Hall so that's really interesting and you know it gets short shrift by the media compared to federal and provincial politics for you it's more of a blood sport you got teams mm-hmm. you got my team versus those guys right so it, it tends to have a it's a little easier to make dramatic stories about that so city hall doesn't isn't in everybody's mind all the time but i i really liked it i love the frontline democracy of it secondly um when i decided to leave the paper in 2010 uh, they were having rounds of buyouts, and I finally jumped in one and got got a buyout. It was that I, you know, the longer I was a journalist, I realized that I always wrote stories about people who did things. Mm. I didn't do things. I wrote stories about or columns about people who did things. Maybe it was time to do something. So I ran in 2010 in uh, Ward Seven against Tony Caterina. Got my butt whipped. And uh, and then I volunteered on numerous boards just to get, again, get engaged, get involved. And I really liked that. And I sort of ran my own communications company and did okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, and then when I decided, I, I wasn't sure I'd ever run again. But one of the things that always bothered me was, and I even in my column, I tried to write about counselors as human beings, as not overpaid, not doing this for for fame and fortune you know they're kind of they're not volunteers but it really is service and i, and I wrote that in my column but the so the level of cynicism towards council in particular was appalling i thought mm. because it's self-defeating for a community to be that cynical about politicians because people then tune out they about don't want to vote life yeah you gotta have a little it, bit of Hope and optimism. Yeah, get involved, get engaged in some way. See what it's really like. And perspective too. Like yeah. we're living in the best time of human civilization yeah. ever. Yeah. Like let's keep that in mind before we decide to be cynical about everything. Donald Trump uh, may be 
the counter argument to that to what you just said mm-hmm. the best time anyways um but he he only affects 350 million people out true. of what are we at eight billion now yeah so i mean yeah definitely agree if if you were the president long term you know could could see a decline and in fact actually for the first time in like 150 years the average life expects expectancy in the states has gone down yeah. two years in a row because of suicide and and opioid overdoses yeah. so i mean there's you know that's that's not encouraging, but hopefully we have people that are able to step up and and you know counteract. Not saying he's responsible for those things, but there's know. a lot of reason. There's there are decent reasons to be cynical about politics, but if you remember the three-headed monster, the public, the media, politicians, somebody's got to break those cycles. Mm-hmm politicians have a responsibility I think to do that to be honest and vulnerable and real and authentic talk to the public like they're adults um, and not be afraid of that mm-hmm. um, and then the public I say it's role like I've, I haven't had it bad but you know the politician goes to a town hall meeting and gets screamed at and belittled and yelled and well what do you what's the goal from that what do you hope is you know you're just angry and you want to vent Mm. okay i kind of get that but then you're going to create wooden fake politicians who will stick to their key messages and never say anything else Mm -hmm. they'll never admit that they were conflicted over that decision right they'll never admit that they lay awake at night and or it led to their divorce or it you know, like, <clears throat> I want to deal with human beings in my life. And human beings have um, not just thoughts uh, and not just anger, but they have sadness, they have embarrassment, they have joy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to deal with, uh, I want to be a whole person in this role, and I want to deal with constituents who would be. So I will sometimes say to people, after getting a long list of grievances, love about Edmonton I will say that to them <laughs> just right? flip the script yeah just yeah. because I'll answer your questions but you answer one for me what do you love about Edmonton mm. because I think sometimes people get beset by negativity mm-hmm. cynicism they're, they're not just mad at me mm. they're mad at the world and, and it's time that you know that silly exercise of writing a gratitude list every day. That's exactly what came to mind. Yeah, which, you know, I think we should, I have never done it, but I've certainly read a number of people subscribe to it. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you're really feeling angry at everybody, try it for one month. Just write a gratitude list every day Mm -hmm. and you'll repeat yourself a number of days probably, but maybe then you'll start to think of other things you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. I literally do that sometimes. I have one bad leg. I probably had a bit of polio as a kid. Okay. And I'll, that'll bug me. You know, I like to I like to go to the gym and stuff, and it's been a bit of work for me. But then I, I try to think, but you could have in a wheelchair. Right. Right? Or you, there's many things to think of, like, even for me, old and bald with one bad leg, <laughs> tore my bicep two years ago, all these things I could complain about, but really... I'm not in pain 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. I never have to worry about food or shelter. Or, 
I don't know. Like, I know that it's really hard to count your blessings, but that gratitude list is supposed to be an antidote to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I would yeah. really recommend everybody try that, especially before they reach out to my office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should make it mandatory to have a gratitude sandwich. <laughs> Open with something grateful, then air your grievance, yeah, yeah. and then close yeah. with, but I'm still actually pretty pleased about this thing. People, you know, as much as we deal with, and we probably should I should have kept some of the emails, but... But then you'll run into people and, you know, they can be so sweet mm. and just thank you for your service. You know, a lot of people will say that. They'll say, I know you guys work a lot of hours and you don't get uh, accolades for it, so thank you. And that's a that's a wonderful experience. Right. To have that little bit of connection with a stranger who who you represent, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Just and, that little act of, of gratitude, I'm sure turns your entire day around. You could have had a hundred negative comments, but that one is going to resonate with you and you're going to carry that forward and positively impact the rest of the people throughout the day that you encounter. All this stuff is cheesy, right? Mm -hmm. This stuff that's really cheesy, like the one I love, which is uber cheesy is this is not a dress rehearsal. Mm. I think we all have to say that to ourselves when we get up in the morning. (laughs) This actually is not a a dress rehearsal. Please let me be fully conscious and fully experience this day. Mm-hmm. And, and believe me, this is, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But um, we live in a wonderful time in a terrific city, which is, you know, despite the economy, and I know there's people out there who are suffering, who got laid off from jobs and, and you know, we, we only pray for them that they'll, they'll find other work and, and, and get back on their feet. But we're doing pretty well. You know, the diversity of the economy in Edmonton allows us to, allowed us to escape mostly unharmed. Uh, it can't go on much longer without a, a pipeline, although the day that pipeline comes through, and I'll admit I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll have mixed feelings. Because I feel very strongly that climate change is not just real, mm-hmm. but scary. And so I've said to myself, if we get a pipeline, I don't know where along it has to be constructed or they actually have to be <laughs> oil going down through it, I'm going to give up my car. Yep. I, I just, that way, my conflict, my personal conflict, mm-hmm. I can feel a little bit better about. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, you know, we. I don't know, I think it's really important to live by our values. It's hard to do so all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. You, you seem like such an, well, you are such an open and vulnerable person. And I think that I've learned in my own past experience over the last three years that that's incredibly valuable. Um, and there's really nothing quite like speaking your truth and not really having anything to hide. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that you're a great leader by example in that sense. And hopefully people notice it. And even if they don't do it, they still see the value in it. And slowly you can impact change that way. So I'm very passionate about mental health and trying to see it um, uh, attain the, 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 the status, an investment status of physical health mm-hmm. uh, in, our, in our society. So I had an anxiety disorder in my arrive in my teenage years, which led to a terrible dark depression, which I, you know, and I, I don't know, I think it was my mom's spirit I got. I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, went to college, got married, three kids, career in journalism, 
And for quite a few years before I actually started to get real help for it, but in there, and I was, uh, uh, so I talked about my anxiety disorder and depression first term, and then this term, I talked about how I dysfunctionally dealt with that, and that was with alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people do. And you know, the term alcoholic is starting to fall out of vogue, and I kind of like the fact that it, it's a pretty uh, it's loaded term. Mm-hmm. And but I was self-medicating with alcohol for years, and and I think if you've been depressed, and if you've been mildly depressed for a long time, you might know what I mean. Was like when you had a few drinks, oh, that's what really good feels like, right? You know that little bit of euphoria, mm-hmm. which you maybe mean rush, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not getting in other parts of your life. So, but um, I quit for a long time. My marriage ended, and uh, we're we're still very. It's very good, very amicable. But the marriage ended, and then I think looking for community, I went back to the bars, yeah, and started drinking again. So, but uh, that lasted for about a year, and I knew it wasn't the right thing. So then, second time, I threw myself into twelve step meetings, mm. and really learned. I loved them. I will. I'm so busy in this life. I just don't go or don't go very often but the day I retire I'll be going back to 12-step meetings that's kind of will be my faith yeah based organization and it's it's such a remarkable thing to sit in a room with people being openly vulnerable talking about their their fears and their frustrations and their grief and the mistakes they've made mm. And there's no crosstalk at a 12-step meeting. Nobody's offering you advice. It's just there's almost like this this pit you're all unloading this into with support of these people sitting around a circle with you. Sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, goofy, but I, it's an amazing thing. And I, I, I say that I, I was petrified of public speaking earlier on in my life, but I, I gained my voice in tw- at 12-step meetings by just speaking over and over and over again. And then at one point deciding I was going to stop trying to be impressive, even there. I was just going to be more authentic Mm -hmm. and more authentic. So all these things for me take practice. My voice, being authentic, being of service, which I learned in AA. So if you're worried, if I'm worried about you, if I'm worried about helping you, I get these blessed few moments Mm -hmm. where I'm not thinking about me. Mm And so that is, again, if you practice and practice, and I'll tell uh, City Hall school kids, you know, grade three or so, I'll I'll tell them this little secret I learned late in life. But if you're nice to other people and you focus on them, Mm -hmm. that you'll actually have a happier life. (laughs) And I said, when I was your age, even in high school, I would have had, yeah, right, buddy. They can't Uh, believe it, right? How how does that work? How is me focusing on other people going to make me happier? Yeah. But we're built for that. We're built to serve other people. Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's, again, at a... So depression, anxiety disorders, addictions are, are diseases of tragic self-absorption. Mm. You're stuck in your own head in these repeating worries and negative thoughts. So it's not the only way out, but one of the ways to practice to get yourself out of that trap is to focus on the needs of other people and be kind to them volunteer opportunities whatever it is get your feet under you again by doing that but anyway so that's one of the reasons i ran for council was i thought maybe a little bit idealistically 
and, and I've seen a few politicians over the years be vulnerable in moments. And I thought, I think people want a human politician. 100%. I think that. And even one that goes, yeah, you know what? I screwed up. Mm. And it's hard to do that. It's so hard to do that because these decisions can be so heated. Like the debates in the communities can be so heated. So a year later to go, you know what? <laughs> I think I screwed up on that one. It feels really hard to say that. But if there's been evidence and learning and education along the way over that year where you look back on that, you go, yeah, damn. Mm. You know, and that happens. I know there's a, there a few votes I'd like to have back for big projects mm -hmm. uh, as I push forward on, on trying to get council over its fixation on on supporting every tower that comes along. Right. The, uh, the diminishing middle ground is what you called it, I think, right? Missing middle. Missing, missing middle. Missing middle, yeah. And we we have this almost space race going on right now with tall towers. <laughs> right. And um, it, it, which it's sort of like we abandon all planning because we got this really cool tower. Yeah. And they come in as one-offs and we don't pause to say, okay, what are the implications here? Mm -hmm. What are the consequences if we do this? So I'm just going to try to push council more and more to say that. Let's think about this because we want density all the way along our LRT network. Yeah. If we put it all in downtown and Oliver, you're not going to get any of this in your ward. So yeah. I'm hoping that'll resonate with some of them. But are there, What cities do you look at, uh, to as sort of analogs of Edmonton? Are there any particular ones that you take inspiration from or you try and learn from the things that they've done or the mistakes they've made? You know, I can't say that that, I mean, I read certainly about it and I will see other cities have, are going through the same thing. But, you know, I suspect that cities like Toronto and Vancouver and some of the American cities ahead of us went through these growing pains, mm. you know, made their mistakes and learned along the way. And I think we're probably, we're a pretty young city and, and you know, this explosive growth really we've had in the downtown was in part because of a deficit of investment in the downtown for about 40 years right we we're focused solely on on suburban growth because that's the way we grew mm -hmm. and downtown was a complete uh afterthought or forgotten part of our city steve Mandel gets elected uh he starts to say that it's time we invest in the downtown uh, and then the arena comes along as a proposal, and he, uh, to his credit, I, I was in his car one day, and we were driving to some event. This is after I'd lost the election. I wasn't at the journal anymore, and we, we got along pretty well. So I was going to an event, and I said, you know what? Screw that, Daryl Cates. You know? <laughs> I'm tired of this shit. I don't want that arena. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no. Nah. He says, I understand everything you're saying. Mm said, but we're not doing this for the Edmonton Oilers and Daryl Cates. We're doing it for the downtown. Yeah. And I really do believe, so Don Iverson eventually came on board and Ben Henderson came on board. Guys that were, they're not Oiler fans. Mm. They're sort of <clears throat> urban planning nerds. But it all came to the point where I think the majority on council said, yeah, it will be a wonderful catalyst for the downtown. Right. And if we hadn't had that um, turned out in the economy, we'd even have more things going on. It's almost like 
for the sake of the downtown, it's almost good that yeah. things that the tap got turned off a little bit because right. it's been overheated. But you know, you squint your eyes, and ten years from now, I think we're going to have a downtown to be proud of, really proud of, mm -hmm. like that people will want to live in and. You know, you live in the suburbs, you'll drive your uh, visiting relatives down there to show off some stuff. Right. That's, that's what it kind of should be, right? Yeah. It should reflect the values and history and aspirations and, and, and loves of that city. Mm -hmm. And so the Windspear is expanding. We got the Art Gallery of Alberta. We got the new Royal Alberta Museum. Uh, the Central Library, the Milner Library is going to want be wonderful. We're going to have LRT from southeast to west end, being able to funnel people down there. We're going to have a bunch more towers. I'm probably forgetting stuff. We're going to redo Jasper Avenue from Step to Stern, and that's really going to upset people. This is a question I ask myself sometimes: like, would I run again, knowing that everybody who loves lives around Jasper Avenue or drives to and from the downtown? And the people in Glenora were going to run LRT down Stony Plain Road. Mm -hmm. Do I want to take all those emails? <laughs> <laughs> you need a burner email. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, but you know, it's it's the curse of living in interesting times, I guess. And, right. And you know, <clears throat> I I think it's. I, will we get everything right? No. Is LRT? Uh, integral to the future of, uh, of Edmonton, I think it is. You know, I think it doesn't matter if we get autonomous vehicles mm -hmm. in 10 years, there's going to be a portion of the population that are, is going to be able to uh, afford to be a, a member of a whatever that autonomous vehicle fleet yeah. service. And so we'll, we'll need mass transit. And so I, mass transit specifically, but not necessarily LRT. Is, is what you're yeah but I think you know to have we'll have probably need to finish it up going northwest mm -hmm. maybe to St. Albert if they chip in enough <laughs> uh, and then we'll have it west mm -hmm. and we'll have it southeast and you know there's a central circulator proposed for one day that may never happen right that may never happen but I think we've got and then you know and and right now we have to f put parking rides so people can take advantage of you know we don't have it's such a spread out city it's hard to get everybody linked into an yeah. LRT system mm -hmm. so we'll need some park and ride capacity expanded there but you know and I just I'm really optimistic about the future of the city the there's something in the water here uh, I think Bob Nicholson said that about the Oilers didn't he and I don't know if it was in a positive connotation no it wasn't <laughs> I don't think it was uh, in this case though there's something about the spirit of Edmonton yeah I can remember 1978 when Edmonton held, hosted the Commonwealth Games. Mm -hmm. Edmonton was clearly the number one city in Alberta. Mm -hmm. Peter Lougheed, as the premier, pumped a bunch of stuff down to Calgary. Basically sent the oil industry down to Calgary. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and gave it a huge shot in the arm. Fair enough. And... And so it becomes sort of the dominant business center of, of Alberta. And Edmonton just kept chugging along, you know. And now when the, when the oil industry was decimated, uh, Calgary really got hurt. Take no joy in that. Believe me, I take no joy in that. 
but Hamilton just kept chugging along. Right. And and there's something about the city I really love, and I th- it's, you know, I I often wonder if it's the community league system here, which I don't know how well versed you are on that, but every community has a community league. Mm-hmm. Mostly they run. Uh, minor sports, mm-hmm. you know, soccer and hockey. And that's not common in every city? No. Oh. No. They have, or it's not done community by community, and then there's a linking Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. I think there's something about the volunteer spirit came out of that, and yeah. even connection to neighborhoods came mm-hmm. out of that. We still have to find better ways to connect people in neighborhoods because uh, social isolation is epidemic in mm-hmm. cities, including ours. But there's something about this place that uh, I always love. Although I do remember writing a column one time uh, about what's which one's better, Calgary or Edmonton, and interviewing some people. And one of the, I don't know if he was a social psychologist or something, said, wherever your friends are, where your memories or positive memories are, 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 are built upon, mm-hmm. that's the best place. Of course. So Edmonton, and how would you ever do a real comparison mm-hmm. based on what? Right. GDP? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that what the, the height of life satisfaction? There's no way. No. Some I believe, though, you'll never be able to say which is better, Edmonton or Calgary. But you can certainly say, I think definitively, that we're both better for having the other one around. Yeah. That yeah. friendly competition, that drive to one-up each other in, yeah. in good nature, yeah. I think is, is a super positive element to this province. I think you see it, you know, Toronto tries to compete with New York, Vancouver's got Seattle and LA, yeah. but Edmonton and Calgary, it's more of that friendly camaraderie, you know, and we know... Oh, you're so naive. You're, <laughs> no, you're not I, from here. <laughs> no, that's true. I, I grew up in a different city, but yeah. a part of me always feels that should the Flames get to the finals again... Many people in Edmonton would be closeted supporters of them, you know, that, if that, not outright. What year was that? It happened, and then 04. 04? Calgary against uh, Tampa. There was a lot of Calgary Flames flags on cars in Edmonton. Yeah, twenty oh six. I was writing a column. I decided to do a bunch of columns around that, and I went down to Calgary. I didn't find that. There. <laughs> I didn't find that sort of uh, uh, giving attitude or yeah. But I actually thought that the other day too. Is They're just I'll, so bitter about two years. Maybe I'll ago. cheer for the Flames. I, I mean, they have some wonderful. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, I, I've lost some of that uh, childish love for the Oilers. You know, I don't. It's hard when they've lost for thirteen years in a row. Maybe that's it. But I just think as you get older and as you raise kids and as you get involved in other things in your community, you can't. Mm-hmm. Like I had. I bought my first season tickets halfway through the last season of the WHA, mm-hmm. and then had them for a, you know a number of years in the NHL. Watched some of those Stanley Cups being won, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, it might have even been like if you just, okay, who are you, Scott McKean? I would probably say, well, I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. And I'm a city councilor, and then I'm a friend. Whatever, however you back that in mind, went Euler fan, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. And then after that, so I've lost. I don't. They can lose, mm. and n- n- not a tear will trickle down my face. Right. Maybe Peter Pocklington, I thought whipped a bit of my enjoyment out of mm-hmm. out of it back then. Yeah. But uh, no matter if you're a fan of the team specifically or not, though, there's something to be said for. When the team is doing well, the city's a better place. 
I totally agree. And I think that there's what there's no faith-based organization that can link us together. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that city council or Mayor Iveson can do to make us link all together. There are some pretty big events, Heritage Days, mm -hmm. um, Folk Fest, where we link a lot of people together in that celebration of us. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing compares to an Euler playoff run I'm sure there are people in the arts community and stuff who are rolling their eyes at that time, but uh, but but yeah, no, there's nothing like it. It's yeah. it's that's when people probably if you did a poll on social isolation during mm -hmm. an Oiler playoff run, I bet you would find the numbers are way down. Because people are gathering, mm -hmm. whether it's from their workplace or their church or they're just wandering down to the local watering hole. Mm -hmm. And, and end up high-fiving a bunch of people after a goal and stuff. They just feel connected. It's mob mentality. Yeah, or or it's it was a guy I knew years ago, he, he put it this way, he said, that's our army. And I went, what? <laughs> he says, yeah, the Oilers are marching out of the out of the Citadel <laughs> to go fight the other cities invading Horde. Yeah. <laughs> and we're cheering them on to battle. Mm -hmm. And so there's something really sort of... Um, uh, prehistoric or the reptilian part of our brain gets involved in this uh, which probably isn't a wonderful thing and, I, and it goes too far in some cases obviously my daughters were in Vancouver with oiler jerseys on them one time and oh, said it boy. was not good no. the way they were it's always going to be people who take it too far though but the, the vast majority of people are respectful and, and they know what they're doing and well, there was that riot after that Vancouver game. Let, you know, there's many factors. I was there for that, actually. Were you? I was, I was locked in a bar on the second story of Granville Street, Kaylee's Irish Pub. They weren't letting anyone in or out, so but they were still serving. So we enjoyed our Guinness right at the window, watching police tear gas people on the streets. Um, but we've seen there's multiple studies on riots and, and how that happens in cities. And you look at the factors and it was pretty much inevitable. Like you could, you could, you could say that had they won or lost, there would have been riots because there was people who went to the downtown core with the specific and expressed intent of, of causing disturbances. It's really fascinating. I don't understand it all. Although I know in 2006, I thought the police overreacted mm. to some of the things that happened on White Avenue. I wrote about it, got caught up in it one night actually a little bit, but they said one of the guys they arrested had a backpack full of rocks. Mm. So he was there, he'd come there to throw rocks probably through windows and yeah. stuff like I don't get that I don't understand what I mean that's a that's a five-year-old child's thrill yeah you know and I don't yeah. get it but well there's also the you know the the observed fact that increased police presence actually spurs poor behavior they did this study in Portugal I think it was the 2011 World Cup and every World Cup had had massive riots and hooliganism and problems and for that World Cup, they said, okay, let's not increase police presence. Let's actually increase what they called uh, public liaison officers. Yeah. And so instead of having police out in the streets, they had people with yellow vests on, basically just conversing with the crowd, talking about the game, giving them directions, maybe making a suggestion to have a glass of water, things yeah. like that. And there was a, like a market, like 90% 
decrease in the riots compared to past World Cups. So much so that there was actually a an altercation between a fan and a real police officer, and they yelled to the Yellow Jacket uh, public liaison to help out. They're like, hey, I'm 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 not trying to cause a problem. Can you help us out here? So yeah. it, it, it's interesting. I was I was really I was. 17 or 18 when the 06 uh, run happened so I don't remember it very well um, but I was here for one night of it game 6 when we beat Carolina to send the game to game 7 and I remember going out on White Ave wasn't legal yet so I was just wandering the streets not going into bars but I just thought like this is crazy there's police and people are getting arrested and it just seemed so like madness so the police took away the street and kept people on the sidewalk I, w- I thought it would have been the strategy should have been close the street off, yeah. get them on the street, keep them away from the shops. Yeah. And because if you stepped off the sidewalk, you could get arrested. It was walking. So in that in that series, I was watching the game at uh, my favorite watering hole at the time, the Wonder Bar, which was a scooter bar. I'm a Vespa scooter <laughs> owner. And, yeah. and, uh, and then I, I hadn't... I guess I must have got a ride there or something. So I'm walking west towards 109th Street to get a bus over to downtown. Then I ran into the riot squad, mm. you know, with the helmets and the all the stuff. And I just, but it, it blocked White Avenue off. And I, I walked up to it. And I'm like, you know, I'm an established journalist in this town. And I went up to them. I said, I just got to get through to get. And they wouldn't even talk to me. Right. So I went down. I was kind of looking for maybe a supervisor. I probably should have just given up. But uh, <laughs> you were doing what you felt was right. Yeah, and so I got down towards the end, and then for some reason they started to march and push. Oh boy! And I got caught up in this. And at one point I went, "Hey, I'm with the Edmonton Journal," and all they heard back was, "Yeah, what is I? I'm from the Edmonton Journal, and this, I'm with the Edmonton Police Service." <laughs> So it was, but I, my, my jeans got ripped. Yeah. I got a little bit of a scrape, but I got a great column out of it. No kidding. Yeah. So it was, but, but what I learned from that, and I'd read a little bit about uh, how they'd, several jurisdictions had realized they had to back off, especially with the riot squad. Yeah. It, it, I was pissed off. It aggravates people. Yeah. I just, this is, you're not treating me like a human being mm-hmm. and you're these kind of like almost robots. Yeah. I didn't like it. So, so, uh, and I, I thought the police overdid it there, but I heard later it might have been because the mayor was giving them grief about, I mean, there was a fire one night, a little bit of a bonfire in the middle of the street of an intersection. Yeah, yeah. I realized that's, you know, not civil yeah. behavior. Right. But it wasn't. Bad. It's an opportunity to say, "Hey, look, we made a mistake, but let's let's use this next game as an opportunity to do better." Versus, yeah. uh, you guys screwed up, so we're punishing you for it, right? And and if you go back far enough to the golden years, it was Jasper Avenue. Everybody'd walk up and down and high five each other. That mm-hmm. was, although I do remember that some guy had climbed up. I forget which building it was. So he's like two two and a half stories up, mm-hmm. precariously perched, and the crowd started to ch- chant, jump. Jump, oh, jump. God. But I thought that was like, yuck. So I, I think I read a little bit about crowd mentality after that. <laughs> yeah. Because you're anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. You're not Diffusion really, responsibility, right? Yeah. You're, you're not really being held to to standards individually. You're part of the crowd. And yeah, it's a bit... I think they overturned a couple of cars. There was an invitation to the Edmonton Fire Service to get involved the next year or something. And mm-hmm. the fire service said, no. Nah. That's your problem. Well, also, you know, they have... 
such a great reputation mm -hmm. in the public, right? They're yeah. not gonna, they're not gonna uh, risk that. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, listen, Councillor, I've kept you here long enough. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me. Have to have you on again. Uh, yeah, maybe at some point when we really talk politics and city, because this was kind of <laughs> just like a, a nebulous sort of fun conversation, nonetheless. But but you know, politics is people. Mm. Politics is problems Pro politics is trying to solve those problems politics is trying to um, celebrate the city it's everything and it I think sometimes people get uh, again we were talking earlier about psychological barriers and how people I suspect there's a lot of people who don't get involved you know volunteer on an election campaign or something because it's mysterious mm. it's not it's just people working together to try to come up with better solutions and better policies to try to create a prosperous, safe, vibrant city for all of us and for our kids and grandkids. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, like you said, you felt, you know, you had done too much writing about people doing things and, and wanted to do something yourself. That's sort of what this podcast has been about and sort of my journey to just stop, you know, stop just being a passenger in, in life and, and what happens in this city and sort of get a little bit more active and see, all right, first step is learning and then maybe down the line I can affect some change. So I appreciate you uh, being, you know, such a real individual <laughs> and not a, a wooden politician. And, and um, you know, I, I hope you continue to live that way and inspire others to do the same. I wouldn't know how else to do it, but as a, the flood, uh, guy I am trying to trying to do better that's all I am a flawed guy trying to learn how to do things better amazing well I appreciate that I appreciate you love to do this again yeah love to too all right thanks counselor hey guys me again one more thing for you uh, two I guess I really want to know uh, firstly what you thought about the counselor McKean episode uh, shoot me a message give me your thoughts uh, second thing, one final thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, who this podcast is lucky to call home. Go check out albertapodcastnetwork.com to find some Albertan-produced content to brighten your day. Once again, I'd love to shout out Mac Mail and Troy Pavlik's podcast, Speaking Municipally. Uh, their weekly show on all things Edmonton City Council has made its way into my weekly rotation, um, and it's armed me with things uh, relevant and current to talk about when it comes to this great city of ours. So definitely give it a listen, see if it's for you. That's all for the show this week. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you back here next week.